Welcome to the ministry of Smyrna Presbyterian Church. Founded in 1914, Smyrna Presbyterian Church believes in the Bible as the Word of God and so desires to preach, teach, pray, and sing that Word so as to know Christ and make Him known in our community, country, and world. We invite you to join us in that mission. Worship services are every Sunday at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. Here now is our pastor, the Reverend Joel Smith. This morning we carry on in our exposition of the epistle of 1 Peter, and we'll begin reading in verse 4 of chapter 2. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Please be seated. Matthew chapter 5 begins this way. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountainside, and there he sat down. And he opened his mouth and began to teach them. And what flows from Jesus' mouth is the greatest sermon ever preached. We know it as the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus ends that sermon in a very memorable way, in a parable. He says that everyone who hears these words of mine and does them is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And he goes on to say that the rain fell, and the floods came, and the wind beat upon both houses, but they had two very different results. One stood firm in midst of the winds and the waves, and the other fell. And it says, great was its fall. Because the difference was the foundation upon which those houses were built. One was built on the rock and the other was built upon the sand. In my former church, we had an engineer who was a member of that congregation and I think his official title was a geological engineer and his entire job was to examine the ground before any building could be built. And he would examine that ground to see if that type of building could be built upon that type of ground. And if so, how deep the foundation needed to be in order for that building to be built. In other words, foundations are extremely important. And this little parable so aptly summarizes that there are only two foundations upon which your life can be built. There is only the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ and then everything else. And both may look very similar from the outside, but the end result is radically different, is it not? As we come to this passage in 1 Peter, we see this analogy or metaphor of a rock or of a stone. And Peter speaks of this living stone and that how we, in this great living stone, become living stones ourselves. 
And this passage, which is probably one of the most familiar in this epistle of 1 Peter, is filled with analogy and metaphors and allusions to the Old Testament. Peter is using temple language here. He's saying that the temple and worship in the Old Testament was a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ, the true living stone. And that in Him, we as the church, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, now offer spiritual worship. And so I want to look at that this morning in two points. The chosen and precious living stone. And second, the new dwelling and worship of God. First, the chosen and precious living stone. As we come to this passage, I know it's been a couple weeks and so perhaps it's helpful for us to review what has been taking place and to see the progression and the transition because it's so easy to dive into these each individual sections and to forget the flow of what Peter is trying to convey to his readers. And Peter, as you know, in First in Peter chapter 1 is stressing the importance of the written word of God. That through this word of God we have been born again. That this imperishable seed has been planted in our hearts and in our lives. And as a result it is a living word. It is an abiding word. It is an eternal word. It is a word that is preached to us that gives us good news and good hope. It is a word that causes us to grow in holiness and Christ's likeness. And therefore we are to long and to crave this word. He says even like newborn infants crave their mother's milk. So we are to have that same desire, that same craving for God's word because it is only through that word that we grow, as he says, up into salvation. And now notice as we come to this section that he seamlessly flows from the written word To the living word. In other words, all of these things that are true of the written word are true because it is the written word, that it is through the written word that we come to the living word. The true word of God. It is through the scriptures that we come face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we must. There's one commentator puts it, the Word of God has Christ as its source, its theme, and its goal. We never approach the Word as though it were merely a collection of truth or a compendium of principles. He goes on to say that there is a man in this sacred book. That there is a man in this sacred book. If we are not confronted with the Lord Jesus Christ every week through the pages of this scripture, then we've missed the truth of that passage. Because the word of God is to bring us to the true word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. That the written word is an extension of the living word. That the spirit is pleased to use this written word for us to meet the living word. And that is why this word is living. That is why this word is abiding. That is why this word is alive in our hearts and our lives. Because it's through it that we see the Lord Jesus Christ. It's through it that we come face to face with Christ. 
Jesus, as you remember, said to Thomas, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And it's true that we have not seen Jesus with our physical eyes. But we've seen Jesus. We've seen Jesus with eyes of faith. As we see him in the holy pages of scripture every week. What is the result? The result is that we love this one whom we read about. We love this one whom we hear about. We love this one whom we see with those eyes of faith. People might say, how can you love that which you have not seen? We say to them, oh, but we have. We have. Have we not? As the hymns so adequately puts it, in the word we have the heaven-drawn pictures of Christ, the living word. And that is why Peter says in this passage that he is so precious, that he is the living stone that is precious to us. He's precious to us because he is so glorious and so good that this word gives us an adequate and sufficient word to know him, to love him, to trust him. But this, even by itself, is not the full sum and summary of the Lord Jesus Christ. No, the Lord Jesus Christ is far more great. He's far more glorious and precious than even these words. And if that is true of the inerrant, perfect word of God, how much less our words or even my words? That is why I'm so very rarely satisfied with my own preaching. And I don't mean that to cast dispersion upon myself or say, woe is me. But I have to tell you that every week I get to study these scriptures. And then I have to try feebly so to give reasonable explanation of this passage that is far more glorious and great than I can even begin to tell you. And then I have to try to do so with all fervor and faithfulness and fullness of truth, but I tell you, every week it falls far short. And so I appreciate when people come up afterwards and tell me that the preach word ministered to them But I have to tell you, that is far more a testimony of the Holy Spirit than it is of me. And I always want to say, when they come up and tell me, you know, thank you for that word, I always want to to add this, but but you don't understand. (laughs) He's far more glorious and great and good and excellent and precious than that. Because we can never fully summarize our God. We can never do Him justice. And even if we were able to have an infinite amount of time, if we were able to have infinite lives, and if we were able to fill those infinite lives with infinite sermons, we would never fully summarize our God. Because he is far more infinite than even that. He's far more great. He's far more glorious. He's far more precious. 
And if you ever wonder what we will be doing in the new heavens and new earth, it'll be learning new things about our God for an infinite time. And that is why Peter says at the beginning of this passage, as you come to him. Notice it doesn't say once you come to him or since you came to him. It says as you come to him. In other words, it is an ongoing coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. We come to Christ again and again and again. We come to meet the living Lord until we will see him one day, truly with our physical eyes, face to face. But as we come to him, he says, we come to this living stone. And what does he mean by that living stone? Living stone seems like an oxymoron, doesn't it? It's kind of like saying jumbo shrimp or little giants. The very nature of a stone is the fact that it's not alive. A stone or a rock is as dead as dead can be. This week on the way back from our trip from California, we went to the Rocky Mountains. And I'm here to give you testimony that those mountains are aptly named. They are rocky. And they have a lot of rocks. And in those mountains and along those paths, we saw massive rocks, massive boulders, some four or five stories tall. And they were impressive, no doubt. But by all indications, they were dead. They were not living. But Peter says that we come to a living stone. He is the living stone because he is the foundational stone. He is the rock in whom our lives must be built upon. As Peter will go on to say say in the coming weeks that he is the cornerstone. He is the essential stone upon which all must rest. He is the chosen stone. The one that was rejected by men. Rejected and crucified by men but chosen by God from the foundation of the earth. And therefore, there is no more important event in our lives than to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ marks time, does it not? That all time in history was shaped by the coming of Jesus Christ. In fact, that's how we date our time, is it not? B.C., before Christ... A.D., Anno Domini, the year of our Lord, after Christ. That with the coming of Christ was the fullness of time. And I want to ask you this morning, as we begin to think about this living stone, this chosen and precious stone, is that how you mark time in your life? That there was a time before Christ, B.C. And that there is a time after Christ. And that when you came to Christ, that changed everything. That changed time and history itself in your life. That there was a marked difference. That there was a marked change. That you were not the same person anymore. Why? Because you came to this choice stone. That you came to this living stone. This one that's not dead. 
but that is much alive in your heart and in your mind and in your life. And it is this one, this stone, this living stone in which we have built our entire life upon. All my faith, all my trust, all my life is built upon the Lord Jesus Christ. He upholds me fully and completely. It's in him we live and move and have our being, says the scriptures. And it's during those rainy seasons of life that we find that to be abundantly true. And when our life is shaken to the very core, when the flood waters metaphorically rise, when the winds beat against us, be it physically, be it emotionally, be it spiritually, it's then that you discover what kind of foundation you have in your life. Because if it's the foundation of this world, that foundation is washed away in those times. It gives you no hope. It gives you no trust. It gives you nothing that you can place your firm foundation upon. But it's when we have those trials, when we have those troubles, we see that we, once again, have a true foundation that is firm. We have a foundation that we can be grounded upon. We have a foundation that is sure. No matter what may be going on. And for some of you, those troubles and those trials may be very difficult. Those waves and that wind may be very strong. But I hope that during this time that you would say, my trust is fully and completely in the Lord Jesus Christ. In this living stone. That literally I have nothing but Jesus. But in Jesus, I have all. I have everything I need. As I said at the beginning, foundations are important. And so this morning, this passage would have us to examine our foundation. What are we building our lives upon? Because it's the foundation, it's the living rock of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is that solid rock that is the only firm foundation for any of us. And as a result, that changes everything. As we see here in our second point, that this now becomes the new dwelling in which God dwells. That it is this new worship of God that we give to him because of what Christ is and what Christ has done. Peter is using a lot of metaphors here. But notice this as he says, as you come to this living stone, you yourselves now become living stones. That there is a union that takes place with Christ and his people. Just like when Paul talks about Christ being the head and we being the body. That those two cannot be separated. So Peter is saying that he is the living stone. He is the foundation. And upon that living stone we are built and we become living stones in him. And together we make a dwelling. Together we make a building. And I don't want you to miss here what Peter is saying because he is giving us some very important biblical theology. Remember who Peter is writing to. He is writing to those that are now outside of the land of Israel. They are exiles. And as exiles, they have an identity crisis to them. 
In other words, being outside of the land, outside of the land of Israel, they are cut off from worship as they knew it. They are cut off from the place of worship. In other words, they are cut off from the temple. They are cut off from the place where the priests would come and give their sacrifices. The place where they would go annually to offer their burnt sacrifices and their peace offerings. This is the place where they would come for the forgiveness of their sins. This was the place where they would see the shedding of that blood. And yet, what is Peter saying to these exiles? He's saying the living stone has come. The true tabernacle has come. The true dwelling place of God has come in the Lord Jesus Christ. That he is the temple. That the temple in Jerusalem was merely pointing forward to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That that temple, as great and as grand as it was, was not living. It was dead. It was built on a mountain, as we know it, Mount Moriah. It was built with stones, but it was not alive. Yes, the God within it was alive, but it itself was not alive. But he is saying here, Peter, that through Christ, you and him, him and you, that there is a new building that is being built. There is a new temple, that there is a new dwelling one that is very much alive, one that is very much living. He says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. He's saying, together, we are becoming the temple of God. And not only that, but he goes on to say, as that temple, as that building that we too are being built up into a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Notice what Peter is saying there, that you no longer not only don't need the temple, you don't need priests. You don't need the Levites to offer up your sacrifice on your behalf. Why? Because Jesus, the ultimate priest, has come. That all of those sacrifices, all that blood of bulls and goats pointed to Jesus. He has offered up himself as a living sacrifice. His offering through his blood and righteousness is acceptable to the Father. And he did this for us. And therefore the temple, the priests, and the sacrifices are now all done away with. Think of how revolutionary that would have been to Peter's readers. The temple was the sum total of their worship. But he's saying, not anymore. That Jesus, in coming, has created a new way to worship. A new access to the Father. This is what Jesus said to the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. Remember when they had that discussion, when the Samaritan woman says, there's this debate, my people say we're to worship at this mountain, your people are saying that we have to worship at that mountain, where are we to worship? What does Jesus say to that Samaritan woman? There is a time coming when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the fathers seeking such worship as these. 
He's saying that both mountains will be done away with. That you'll have direct access to God himself through his spirit and through his truth. And what Peter is saying in this passage is that day has come. We are living in that day. And so Peter is saying to his readers in that day that the worship that is taking place, perhaps in their homes, there in Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia, as he entitles this letter to them, that that worship in those places is greater than the worship that took place in Solomon's temple. And through the Holy Spirit this morning, we can say the same thing. The worship that is taking place in this place, here in Smyrna, Georgia, is greater than the worship that took place in all the glory of Solomon's temple. And that's hard to believe, isn't it? Because we read the description of Solomon's temple and we think, wow, that would have been amazing to be able to see that. It would have been amazing to be a part of that. And we come to this place, this humble dwelling, this church with its quirky 60s architecture. And we think, this place can't be greater than Solomon's temple. And what Peter is saying is, yes, that it is. Perhaps not externally, but spiritually and internally it is. And that is what the author of Hebrews is trying to point out in the entire book. But he says this specifically, You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels and festal gatherings, to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. It goes on to say, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship, with reverence and awe. You hear what the author of Hebrews is saying is that you're coming spiritually to God himself. That you're meeting in his dwelling place. No Israelites got to do that. Only the high priest once a year got to enter into the Holy of Holies. And what Peter is saying, what the author of Hebrews is saying is that we enter into the very Holy of Holies as we come into worship every week because of what Jesus Christ has done for us and what Jesus Christ is doing within us. That new covenant worship is greater and far more glorious. And that is why we are not looking for a temple to be built back in Jerusalem one day. Why would we want to go back to that? What we have here is far more great and glorious than that. We don't come through any mediators. We do not come through any priest, any co-redeemers. We do not come to any temples or any buildings. We do not need to bring any blood of bulls and goats. We come directly to the Lord of Lords and to the King of Kings. And there we make a sacrifice. As he says here, we offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What, What sacrifices are we bringing? We're bringing ourselves. We're bringing ourselves and offering ourselves to God. 
Just as Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, we present ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, that this is your spiritual worship. Do you know what kind of worship God is looking for? God is looking for the fullness of who you are, the complete offering up of yourself, body, soul, and spirit. We're saying we don't belong to ourselves anymore. We belong to you. And we come week by week and we present ourselves before God. And we worship him. And then we go out in the week and we do our vocations. We do that which we are called to unto God. Giving him glory and praise through our work. Through our prayers. Through the way that we speak. Through the way that we live. And so notice again. I wish we had so much more time to to dwell on this. But. He is giving to us a wonderful spiritual progression here of this wonderful dwelling of God. Where do we first see that dwelling of God? We see that dwelling of God in the Garden of Eden. As Adam and Eve dwelt with God and walked with Him. And even though sin destroyed that dwelling place, God through His faithfulness, God through His covenant mercy, And his grace was pleased to restore that dwelling. First in part through the tabernacle, then in the temple, and then fully in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's now in the Lord Jesus Christ that we gather collectively as a church. And this is the dwelling place of God. Until he comes back again. Until he restores the new heavens and the new earth. God is restoring Eden to us. And in fact, one day we will have it even in a greater and more fuller way than even Adam and Eve did at the very beginning. And so this passage spans from beginning to end. From dust until glory. Until we come to the Lord in glory, we have this. We have the church, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we collectively are living stones being built up into a spiritual home, a spiritual house, a dwelling place for our God. And so then we see just two quick applications here. The importance of the church. That you can't be a living stone by yourself. As Peter says it here, you yourselves like living stones. Notice that all of those are in the plural. You, plural, yourselves, plural, like living stones, plural, are being built up into a singular spiritual house. One brick doesn't make a building, does it? Only collectively can we make up the dwelling place of God. Yes, every brick, each part is essential, but it's only when those parts come collectively together that they make the whole, that they make the dwelling place for God. And so you can't just be a brick on your own. You can't be a dwelling place of God on your own. We do it together as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in that church, it is in the body of believers that we see the wonderful Worship of God take place. And it's in the communion of saints 
that we have the true worship, the true dwelling of God. That's here that God inhabits the praises of his people. As I said at the very beginning, it's here that we come face to face with the living God every week. What greater privilege can we have than that? And that's why we need to make the Lord's Day a priority. Every Lord's Day. And we need to be excited for it. And we need to get our families prepared for it. And we need to tell our children, children, get in the car. Today is the day that we meet the Lord. Today is the day that we get to see Him face to face. With our family. With the family of God. With the church. You want your children to know Jesus? Bring them to church. It's here that they see Him week by week. And so don't take your children to the baptismal font if you're not going to take them on a regular basis to this place to meet Christ. We wonder why our children leave the church once they leave the home. It's because they don't understand the spiritual significance of this passage. And they don't understand it because we don't understand it. We don't stress the importance of God's dwelling place. The place where he is pleased to meet with his people. The place that he is pleased to meet with his church. I conclude with this. Who is it that's writing this passage? Well, it's Peter. And what does Peter mean? Well, it means the rock. Remember when Jesus says and changes his name, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And so it's Peter that says to us, that says to the church that as I am a rock, you are a rock too. You are stones as well, living stones. And Christ is collectively building us up together to be a dwelling place for God Almighty. And so let us, therefore, offer worship, as it says here, that is pleasing and acceptable to God. Because it is through this Lord Jesus Christ, who is this chosen and precious stone. It's in him that we believe. And all those who believe, as that parable says at the very beginning, are like wise men who built their house, built their lives upon the rock. And when the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. May we be founded upon the rock, the rock of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for This analogy, this metaphor of you being the living stone. And that in you, the living stone, we are made living stones in him. And Lord, we confess that we often don't think of ourselves that way. We don't see the immediate connection between us and you and you and us. We don't see the significance of gathering together on a place like this on an average Sunday morning in an average... Sunday place. But Lord, we pray that you would give us greater eyes to see. Eyes to see by faith the 
risen and living Lord that is high and lifted up, that is exalted. May we see that worship and praise that we enter into is far more glorious than anything that has ever been given on this place on earth. And Lord, until our faith would become sights, until we would see you face to face, may we value the importance of the church. May we value the importance of worship. And may we value you who truly is our sure foundation and the rock for our feet. It's in you, O Lord, that we trust. It's in you, O Lord, that we believe. It's in you, O Lord, that we give you glory and praise. We pray this in Christ Jesus, our Savior's name. Amen.